Welcome to Above Avalon. This is episode 172, Hidden Acceleration. Hi, I'm Neil. Two weeks ago, Apple reported earnings. And similar to how we talk about Apple earnings on this podcast, we're not going to focus on the details. We're not going to focus on my full notes. I did that in two daily updates. We're also not even going to focus on the major themes or the major takeaways from this one earnings release. Instead, I want to do something a little bit different. I want to look at this earnings report, which is a snapshot. It's a three-month snapshot as to how Apple performed. That's what earnings releases are. I don't like how Wall Street is so focused on just one earnings release. Look at a lot of these companies out there. You see one earnings report's really good, the next one's really bad, up, down, up, down. And all that is, is just comparing expectations versus actual results. There's too much noise there. Instead, I want to take a step back. Let's use Apple's third quarter results and string them together with the past quarter, the quarter before that, second quarter, first quarter. We're taking these snapshots, we're putting them together, and getting a clearer view of what's happening. When you do that this time around, when you take Apple's third quarter results, you string them with Apple's first quarter, second quarter, and you start looking ahead a couple quarters. Something interesting happens you start to see a theme that we've been talking about in this podcast. Episode 170, pulling away from the competition. Episode 171, the Apple ecosystem. Those episodes are focused on why I think Apple has a growing advantage against the competition. The answer is found with its ecosystem. In today's episode, We're going to focus on quantifying how much Apple's ecosystem is growing. We're not going to just use third quarter results for Apple, but we're going to look at Apple's quarterly results over a number of years, and we're going to start to look out in the future. And I think what ends up happening is you see a clear acceleration in Apple's ecosystem growth. And what's happening here? as hundreds of millions of iPhone-only users are moving deeper into the Apple fold. They are signing up. They are paying for various services. They are buying additional products. In my view, this is one of the key topics, maybe one of the most important topics facing Apple today. It's not China. It's not WeChat. It's not the App Store. Instead, it's what's happening to Apple's ecosystem. I think what's unfolding now, 2020, will have implications for the next 10 years for Apple, if not longer. There are a number of ways one can attempt to track or measure Apple's ecosystem growth. We can look at the number of devices in the ecosystem, the number of users. Take those two data points, and we can look at the number of devices per user. There's the amount of revenue per user, the number of paid subscriptions or paid subscriptions per user. In covering Apple's business from a financial perspective, my modeling work includes keeping up-to-date estimates for most of those preceding data points. However, there's one metric missing from that list that may come as a surprise. There's one thing I didn't mention overall revenue. 
Now, considering how Apple provides that data point every three months, such an exclusion may seem peculiar. Wouldn't Apple revenue shed light on how Apple is performing, on how the Apple ecosystem is performing? Relying on overall revenue for analyzing Apple's ecosystem growth will lead to faulty conclusions. Over at AboveAvalon.com in this week's article titled, Apple's Ecosystem Growth is Accelerating, I have a number of exhibits that we are going to talk through in today's episode. The first exhibit is Apple Revenue. And this data is graphed on a trailing 12 months basis. And this is done to smooth out the seasonality found in Apple's business. I mean, sales are concentrated around the holidays. The exhibit demonstrates that Apple revenue is continuing to increase. It has its ups and downs, but overall, it's still gradually moving higher. However, it becomes very clear that the growth rate, again, for just Apple revenue, has been slowing in recent years. I think it's fair to assume that when most people look at this exhibit, their takeaway is that higher revenue does demonstrate Apple's ecosystem continues to grow, but the rate of growth has slowed dramatically in recent years. There is one problem with that takeaway. It's wrong. Overall revenue trends are masking what is actually occurring with Apple's ecosystem. In fiscal year 2019, the iPhone was responsible for 55% of Apple's overall revenue. On its own, that's not an issue for Apple. Look at the iPhone. It is part of Apple's ecosystem, after all. However, Apple has become increasingly dependent on existing iPhone users upgrading their devices to generate iPhone revenue. This has resulted in Apple's overall revenue being heavily influenced by iPhone upgrading trends. During periods of robust iPhone upgrading, Apple's overall revenue shows stronger growth. However, the reverse is true as well. When iPhone upgrading slows, overall revenue growth also slows to the point that it looks like Apple's ecosystem may be plateauing or even contracting. This is a major issue facing Apple at the end of 2018 and early 2019. We saw slowing iPhone upgrades lead many to conclude that Apple was in big trouble in China and all their geographies. Since iPhone upgrading trends have little to no direct impact on Apple ecosystem viability or strength, there has to be a better approach to get insights on how Apple's ecosystem is growing. So one thing that I took a look at is dividing Apple's revenue into two categories, iPhone and then non-iPhone. And that non-iPhone category would include revenue from services, the Mac, iPad, wearables, home, and accessories. In exhibit two, I broke out Apple's overall revenue into those two categories, iPhone and non-iPhone. 
you get a completely different view of Apple's growth trajectory. Non-iPhone revenue continues to demonstrate very strong momentum. Meanwhile, iPhone revenue is trending at the same level that it was in 2015. To make things a little bit clearer, I then looked at just the revenue growth rates for each category, iPhone and non-iPhone. Non-iPhone revenue growth has outpaced iPhone revenue growth for the past seven quarters. And the only reason why that's not longer is that back in 2018, higher growth rates for iPhone revenue were due to higher iPhone average selling prices. A lot of this was caused by Apple unveiling the iPhone X. If we exclude the quarters impacted by higher average selling price, Non-iPhone revenue growth has been trending stronger than iPhone growth since 2016. This is a sign that Apple's underlying ecosystem strength has been gaining momentum for years. It's just been masked by people holding onto their iPhones for longer before upgrading. What is driving this non-iPhone revenue strength? The answer is found in the strong iPhone revenue trends from a few years ago. Years of strong new user growth driven by the iPhone is now contributing to hundreds of millions of iPhone-only users moving deeper into the Apple ecosystem. This trend really started to take off around the beginning of 2017. Some may listen to this discussion up to now and say that the data is still incomplete. A large portion of Apple's non-iPhone revenue is driven by Apple services. It's about 40% of non-iPhone revenue. And when you look at Apple services, that includes a number of recurring revenue streams, such as iCloud, Apple Music. You have all the various paid subscriptions. Given the recurring nature of something like paid iCloud storage, it ends up being easier for Apple to report year-over-year services growth. There is a very different dynamic, though, found with hardware revenue. You don't have that recurring nature. You don't have that element where someone signs up for a service and then continues to pay for that service on a regular basis going forward. Because hardware isn't a recurring revenue stream, year-over-year growth ends up being that much harder to achieve. Apple is, in effect needing to replace every dollar of hardware revenue each year with new sales. Now, one can argue something like the iPhone upgrade program is a recurring revenue stream, but for hardware. In my opinion, that's a stretch. The upgrade program is a loan with a built-in upgrade optionality after the 12th payment. That is very different than something like paid iCloud or an Apple Music subscription. Why does any of that matter? Why do we have to denote recurring revenue when thinking about Apple ecosystem growth? Well, some people may look at non-iPhone revenue and say, well, the reason growth is stronger for that category is because of services. It's because of this recurring revenue. I don't agree with that conclusion, but for this discussion, let's just run with it. To address that concern, why don't we just break out non-iPhone revenue? We will end up with two categories, services and products. And again, because we're focusing on non-iPhone revenue, 
that products category will exclude iPhone revenue. So basically, we're just looking at iPad, Mac, wearables, home, and accessories. Those items, if we put that into a products bucket and then compare it to services. And what will come as a shock to many people, certainly not above Avalon readers and listeners, is that products revenue, again, iPad, Mac, wearables, home, and accessories, is now growing at nearly the same pace as services. I think that needs to be repeated one more time. Take iPad, Mac, wearables, home, and accessories revenue. Compare it to services revenue. Both are growing at nearly the same pace. That is a major narrative violation. Because consensus has spent years positioning services as Apple's growth engine. I'm sure you've heard that on various podcasts, websites, TV channels. It was everywhere for years. It's not happening. Why? Why is that not taking place? Because we are seeing Apple's ecosystem growth accelerate. iPhone-only users are not just interested in signing up for Apple services or buying more stuff through the App Store. They're interested in new products as well. They're looking at iPads. They're looking at Macs. Of course, they're looking at wearables in a very big way. To be more precise, they are in search of more premium experiences. This ties in perfectly with the last episode, episode 171, the Apple ecosystem, where we examined what Apple's ecosystem derives its power from and why loyalty and satisfaction rates increase as customers move deeper into the Apple ecosystem. Before we move on to talking more specific growth rates when it comes to Apple's ecosystem, I wanted to play devil's advocate for a minute or two. Earlier in the episode, we talked about how iPhone revenue was adding noise to Apple's overall revenue, and that's because of upgrading trends. So a question that I think is a fair one to ask is, well, what's stopping that from impacting iPad revenue or Mac revenue or wearables revenue? Why am I focusing so much on that? Why is that revenue okay, but iPhone revenue is too noisy? We can't look at iPhone revenue. There's a big difference. Approximately half of people buying iPads and Macs are new to the product categories. For Apple Watch, the percentage is more than 75%. Meanwhile, when you look at the iPhone, the new user percentage for iPhone sales is a fraction of those percentages. This tells us that iPad, Mac, and wearable sales are a very good indicator of Apple ecosystem strength because they are reflecting iPhone-only users moving deeper into the Apple ecosystem. You don't have that dynamic with iPhone and iPhone revenue. At this point, let's tie all of this together and start talking a little bit more precisely about growth figures. One way of thinking about the Apple ecosystem is to view it as a pie. There are two ways for Apple to expand the pie. Bring in more customers and have existing customers spend more on services and products in the ecosystem. That's higher average revenue per user. 
So when you're looking at new users entering the ecosystem, I think the iPhone SE should not be underestimated. It could be a very successful tool for bringing Android users into the Apple fold. There is evidence to suggest that the iPhone SE is targeting a different part of the install base than Apple's regular flagship iPhone models. The second element here is that existing users are moving deeper into ecosystems. So iPhone users are buying iPads, Macs, and wearables. They are signing up for various Apple services. This is why the data point for the number of paid subscriptions across Apple's ecosystem, that's crucial. I think it's very important to keep track of that number going forward because it adds more to Apple services than just that one revenue line. It gives you a little bit more information as to how people are moving deeper into Apple's services bucket. Apple currently finds itself in an ecosystem expansion phase. Hundreds of millions of people with only one Apple device and iPhone are embarking on a search for more Apple experiences. And we see this when we look at non-iPhone revenue. For the third quarter, 2020, and again, this is on a trailing 12-month basis, non-iPhone revenue grew by 14%. This is higher than growth rates seen in the mid-2010s, where you had non-iPhone revenue is really fluctuating between down 5% and up by 3 or 4%. As we mentioned earlier, things start to change at the beginning of 2017, and we saw non-iPhone revenue growth begin to increase, and it started to move closer to 15%, which it's been around since pretty much since 2018. I would say it's safe to say for the past two years, it's been at approximately 15%. Looking ahead, my estimates have non-iPhone revenue growth accelerating from around 15% to more like 20% in the coming quarters iPad, Mac, and wearables are a major source of that growth acceleration. Considering how Apple is working off a much larger revenue base for those product categories, to have revenue growth percentages actually increase this far along in the process is intriguing. The takeaway is that Apple's ecosystem is gaining momentum at a pace that should frighten the competition. Just to provide a little bit more color on that idea of gaining momentum, This past quarter, according to my estimates, there were about 7 million people who bought their first iPad ever. That's pretty remarkable, considering how long the iPad's been around. 7 million people in just the past three months. For the Mac, my estimate is that about 2.5, maybe closer to 3 million people bought their first Mac ever. Those are pretty remarkable figures, and I think it's very easy to get caught up in maybe just the iPhone or services, but for products like the iPad and Mac, and let's be honest, especially on Wall Street, those product categories were largely forgotten for years. So it's intriguing how those product categories are now serving as some of the best ways of gauging Apple's ecosystem growth. It's a dramatic shift. I think it's fitting that we end this discussion with wearables. We really can't talk about Apple ecosystem growth and not talk about wearables. Hundreds of millions of people will be buying their first Apple wearable device 
in the coming years. Given the inherent nature of wearable devices, it is very likely that one Apple wearable purchase will eventually lead to additional Apple wearable purchases. We already see this taking place with Apple Watch and wireless AirPods. If you have someone who's wearing an Apple Watch on their wrist, they are that much more likely to also purchase a pair of wireless AirPods. It is not easy to find that kind of dynamic in the past at the scale that Apple is now operating in. We're not talking millions of users. We're talking tens of millions of users. And I think when we look at the big picture and we step back, let's go out a couple of years, you're going to talk about install bases for these wearable devices that exceed 100 million people each. That is very different than what Apple is used to. When we then look at how Apple can leverage high margin services to run with more aggressive pricing on wearables, and we could also say that with other Apple devices, that's only going to end up boosting demand. And what's going to happen if you have people using more Apple devices? Well, they're probably going to be more interested in Apple services. You can see how it's all connected. If you are trying to compete against this ecosystem, if you are trying to pick off Apple users somehow, I think now you are probably asking some very tough questions because you are starting to see a byproduct of what has been unfolding for decades, really. What Apple has been working on in terms of making technology more personal, positioning design as the center of it all. That's another way of saying positioning the user experience at the center of it all. It becomes very difficult to see how you can actually compete against this. You can't just come up with an iPhone answer. You can't come up with a smartphone that people are really going to be interested in. It's not enough. You can't come up with just an answer to the Apple Watch. You need something more than a compelling smartwatch. You need everything. You need to essentially come up with an ecosystem that is capable of delivering the same kind, the same number of premium experiences that Apple is providing to its users. And to then have Apple continue to run forward. This is a company that they know they are their most formidable competitor. They are not standing still. If anything, I think that ends up being the hardest part to compete with here. You can take what Apple's ecosystem looks like today and try to come up with an answer for it. But by the time you get that answer out into the marketplace, Apple is already so far ahead. This is why I think Apple's ecosystem growth and what appears to be an acceleration in that growth isn't just something that's going to have an impact over the coming months or quarters. This is something that is going to impact the marketplace. It's going to have very large implications for years to come, maybe even decades. That's going to do it for today's episode. If you enjoy the analysis and perspective found in these podcast episodes and in the weekly articles over at AboveAvalon.com, which are accessible to everyone, I think you'll be interested in receiving my exclusive daily updates about Apple. These daily updates are emails. Each one is about 2,000 words and typically covers three stories. The updates cover everything I think matters in the world of Apple. 
Daily update topics include Apple business and strategy analysis, my perspective on current news impacting Apple and Apple's various competitors, my Apple financial estimates, and full coverage of Apple earnings and events. Since Apple doesn't operate in a vacuum, the updates end up covering quite a wide range of topics. You can see all of those topics over at AboveAvalon.com. Just go to the Daily Updates page. That's where you can also read three sample daily updates to get a feel for what they're like. New updates are published throughout the week, Monday through Thursday, and each is delivered directly into your inbox. The updates are available exclusively to Above Avalon members. In order to become a member, just head on over to AboveAvalon.com and check out the membership page. It's either $20 per month or $200 per year. While the updates serve as the cornerstone of membership, there are other member privileges and benefits, all of which are listed on the membership page. That page also includes answers to frequently asked questions. Of course, if you have any additional questions, always feel free to reach out. I do have a contact page over at AboveAvalon.com. Above Avalon is fully sustained by memberships. If you are an Above Avalon member, thank you for your support. And if you're planning on becoming an Above Avalon member, thank you in advance. With that, I will conclude today's episode. I will talk to you all later. Bye.